0: We are currently in a series called, Can You Hear Me Now? In the book of the Revelation, we find seven letters that are written to seven different churches. Now, we need to understand that these were literal churches in Asia Minor, and and each church received a different message. At the end of uh, each letter, the same mandate was given to each church. It was this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want you to notice the word churches, plural. Although each letter was specific to the individual church address, yet every church could glean from each letter. We are—we believe that all seven of these letters were circulated through all seven of these churches. See, see it's better to learn from the mistake of others and, and avoid making them ourselves than to learn everything through trial and error, three steps forward and two steps back. If you agree with that, say amen this morning. The Holy Spirit says, he who has an ear, let him hear what I have to say. God is saying to us today, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Well, the church that we're looking at today and the letter that was written to them that we're about to read is the church in Smyrna. So I want us to read this letter found in chapter 2 and verses 8 through 11 in the book of the Revelation. Let's read it this morning. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Well, today I want to I point out five things that I see in this letter. And the first thing that I, that I see in the letter, I see, I see the pastor. I see the pastor. We see the pastor in verse number eight. I want you to notice who this letter is addressed to. To the angel of the church of Smyrna. Now, most theologians believe that the angel of the church is the pastor or the overseer or the leader. To the pastor or overseer or leader of the church. You didn't know I was an angel, did you? Well, my name is Michael uh, and I do a lot of harping, so I probably uh, probably qualify. Leadership expert John Maxwell says that everything rises and falls on leadership. I want you to notice that this letter was to be read to the church, but it, it was addressed to the pastor. We'll say that again. It was to be read to the church, but it was addressed to the pastor or the leader of that church. Here's what I know, and that is an incredible responsibility resides on the shoulder of the pastor. Well, if he is wise, he will pull people beside him, people like Aaron and her who will help hold up his hands when they grow weary. If he is wise, he will delegate much of the responsibility to capable and reliable and trustworthy people who will help lighten his load. But at the end of the day, he has the ultimate responsibility. And I believe that his responsibility is to listen and then to lead. To listen, to spend much time in the presence of the Lord, seeking direction from the Lord for the church that God has called him to lead. To process what he has heard from the Lord with other godly and spiritual leaders. Please hear my heart today. No one loves you more than I do. No one loves you more than I do. No one loves this house more than I do. I take my role very, very seriously. Consistently, I I cry out to God on behalf of this house. Consistently seeking God for, for for direction, consistently seeking God for for guidance, for wisdom, for for His will for this house. Almost daily, I I ask God to reveal to me my flaws. See, you really don't need to do that. Because consistently, daily, nearly, I, I ask God to reveal to me my flaws. Oh, I ask him to, to show me if I am off base. Oh, in my doctrine, to show me if I am off base in my leadership. Because I understand that I one day will stand before God, and I will have to answer to God for my ministry, and I will have to answer to God for my, for my ministry and leadership. And I want to receive a good grade. <laughs> I want to receive a good rate. I want to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I'm not naive. I know I don't bat a thousand. I know I miss the mark sometimes. I know I've made my share of mistakes. But please know this, my heart is for you. And my heart is for this house. My motive is to please God, and my motive is to leave this house much better than it was when it was placed in my care. I love everyone in this house unconditionally, and I understand my responsibility, and I take it very seriously. First thing that I see in this letter written to this church, I see the pastor, verse 8, to the angel or to the pastor of the church in Smyrna right. Second thing that I see in this letter to this church is I see the poverty. The poverty. Verse number nine, I know your works, I know your tribulation, and I know your poverty. Say poverty. The saints in Smyrna were mostly poor. But not just poor, but they were they were nearly destitute. Evidently, they had not heard the Americanized version of the Bible, Americanized version of the gospel that says God's will is for every saint to become healthy, wealthy, and wise. Preach that in third world countries and see how it goes. Here's the truth this morning. Here's the truth. Financial prosperity is not guaranteed to every saint. Pastor, Pastor, don't don't, don't you believe that God desires to bless his people? Don't you believe that the Bible contains financial principles that that in practice will produce financial blessing? Don't, Don't you believe that God cares about us and about our financial welfare? Yes, yes, and yes. But financial prosperity is not guaranteed for every saint. See, see, God is much more interested in who we are becoming than in how many belongings we can stack up. He's more concerned with our character than he is with our cash. It's interesting to me that God deemed the poor saints in Smyrna as rich. <laughs> Verse number nine, he said, he said, I know your poverty. He said, but you are rich. But the rich saints, the rich saints in Laodicea he called poor. Read about in Revelation chapter 3 verse 17, God says, you say, you say we're rich. Oh, and we have become wealthy and we need absolutely nothing. Nothing. That's what you say, God says, but God said, I say, I say you are wretched and you are miserable and you are poor. God called the poor saints rich and he called the rich ones poor. Evidently, evidently, God weighs riches on a different scale than man does ah man man looks at someone who steps out of a fancy car and oh with designer clothes on you know wearing a lot of bling and a rolex rolex watch and walking into the country club for dinner and man sees that and man says wow they are rich but god doesn't look on the outward appearance He looks down into the heart. And often, often the one who appears wealthy on the outside is literally bankrupt on the inside. And on the other hand, sometimes those who are poor on the outside are, are totally rich on the inside. It never ceases to amaze me when I go overseas to a third world country. It never ceases to amaze, to amaze me to see the poorest of the poor. Man, I mean, I've seen where they live. I've seen, you know, all they have maybe is just a little, just a little shack of some kind, just a few boards and maybe some tin over the top. Maybe not even, not even totally enclosed. I, I, I see the poorest of the poor, but I see them dancing. I see them shouting. I see them praising God with joy. Oh, and with enthusiasm. Them a literal glow upon their faces. Am I encouraging poverty and criticizing prosperity? Absolutely not. But what I am saying today is, and that is that most people don't really understand what true prosperity and true pro- poverty really is. And so often, we get them backwards. Well, notice the third thing that I see in this letter, and that is the persecution. And we find that in verses number nine and verse number 10. It says this, I know about your tribulation. Do not fear any of those things you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation for 10 days. Let me tell you that it was not easy to be a Christian in Smyrna. Smyrna was anti Christian. This city fought against Christianity and targeted Christians and targeted the Christian church. One of the reasons why the Christians were so poor was because their businesses were boycotted. Their businesses were targeted, and they, they had a target placed on their backs. How many know it's hard to succeed financially when you are being boycotted and targeted? The saints in Smyrna were persecuted, and I don't know, perhaps more than any of the other saints at that time. Question. The question that I have for us today is this, are we ready for persecution? Are we ready? See, the storm clouds sure seem to be building up all around us. The climate seems to be quickly changing. The truth is, it's been pretty easy to be a born-again Christian in Christian America the past 200-plus years. Not so much today. Not so much today. And I'm afraid that it's going to get much, much worse. Our biblical moral stances and beliefs are already being mocked and being ridiculed today. Today. True biblical Christians who stand for truth and righteousness and biblical morality are simply in the way of so many today. We're in the way of those who no longer honor and adhere to the Bible. Who no longer believe it's authenticity and call it, call it simply a book of handed down fables. And we are mocked and we are ridiculed and we are made fun of. That we would be so ignorant to believe anything in this book of fables. We're told today that you cannot legislate morality, and yet, and yet I say they are constantly legislating immorality. Yeah. The floodgates have been opened. All of hell is coming after the church and coming after the saints. I'm telling you, I'm warning you, I'm telling you, I believe it in my heart, I believe it in my spirit, this is a warning, amen, this is a time to get ready, it's a time to get prepared, amen, I'm telling you, it's no longer business as usual, it's not gonna be as easy as that has been in the past, I'm telling you by the Lord and by the word of the Lord and through a word of prophecy today that persecution is coming to America, persecution is coming to the church, persecution is coming to you, and you better get your house in order and you better get ready because it is coming. Are we ready for it? If you know me and you've been around here for the last 18 years, you know I'm not a doom and gloom person. I don't buy into the conspiracy theories. I'm not a doom and gloom, negative kind of person, and I'm not meaning this in doom and gloom. And pers- And you'll hear in a moment what this really actually means. But I do believe persecution is coming, and we better be ready for it. Let me say this about persecution this morning. Persecution is a refining and a defining process. Persecution will both refine us and define us. Now, to refine means to remove impurities. To define means to make clear. It means to clarify. Persecution will do both. It will separate the sheep from the goats. It will identify the committed and the uncommitted. Somebody said that adversity builds character. Well, I say it also reveals character and the lack of it. The letter to the church in Smyrna reads, tribulation is coming. Oh, it says some of you will even be thrown into prison because of your faith. But it goes on to say, don't be alarmed. Don't be anxious about this. There's a purpose for your persecution." And the, pers- and the purpose is stated in verse number 10, that you may be tested. Hey, church, modern church, American church, we've never been tested. Not really. We've never been tested. The test is coming. Will we pass or will we fail? Some will bail out before the test even comes. Many already have. How about us? How about us? But here's the good news. Say, here's the good news. (laughs) Yeah, here, it's not all about doom and gloom. Here's the good news. Oh, Oh, the good news is that Jesus will help us pass the test. Jesus will help us pass the test if we allow him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament were tested. Oh, their faith was put to the test. They were thrown into a furnace of fire because they stood up for their biblical morality. But oh, if you'll read the story, guess who was waiting on them when they got into the fire? Yes, they were thrown into the fire, but there was somebody already in the fire waiting on them when they got in the fire. Who was in the fire? Jesus was in the fire. And if you read the story, you'll find that he protected them, and he brought them through, and he brought them out of the fire. Oh, the good news is we don't have to face our persecution alone. Oh, the good news is we have one another. The good news we is we have Jesus, amen. And if we will place our hand in his hand, he will walk us through and out of the fiery. Persecution that is coming our way. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's all going to entail, but it is coming. But the good news is the Lord knows it's coming, and the Lord has prepared already, and He's already in our future. He's already there waiting on us, and He will help us, and we will get through. Oh, hear me, church. Today is not a day to divide, it's a day to unite. Not a day to divide, but a day to unite. We need each other. Persecution is both a refining and a defining process. Well, let's look at the next thing that I see in this letter, and that is the prosperity. The prosperity, and we find that in verse number nine. And the letter reads in verse number nine, I know about your poverty but you are rich. Wait, what? How can we be poor and rich at the same time? Here's the answer. True riches have nothing to do with money. I know of your poverty. I know you're broke. I know you're struggling. I know. But Actually, you're not poor. You're actually rich. True riches have nothing to do with money. True riches are our faith, our friends, and our family. Mark 8, verse 36 and 37, Jesus says, he says, what is the benefit? If you gain the entire world, but you lose your soul, Jesus says, is anything worth more than your soul? Listen, friend, the richest man in the world who has more money than any other man could possibly be the poorest of all men if he is bankrupt in the assets of faith, family, and friends. Stop compiling your net worth according to man's calculator. Start calculating it according to God's. Let me ask you this morning how's your faith? How's your faith? What kind of, of relationship do you have with the Lord? Oh, oh, do you experience his presence? Do you experience his peace? Do you experience his partnership? How's your, how's your family life? How's your, how's your marriage? Oh, 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 how's your relationship with your kids? Oh, how about your friends? See, see true riches have absolutely nothing to do with money. As persecution becomes more intense, we will need the Lord and we will need one another as at a whole new level. So I challenge you today, don't don't focus so much on growing your bank account that the accounts of greatest value are bankrupt. Well, let's look very quickly at the fifth and the final thing that I see in this letter and that is I see the promise and the promise is found in verses 10 and 11. And it says, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. And he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Here's what we need to understand. It's not enough to just start the Christian race. We must also finish the race. Here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. If you can choose to enter the Christian race, and I believe that it is a choice, And so, if you can choose to enter the Christian race, then common sense says that you can also choose to drop out of the race. Two questions for you this morning. The first question is this Have you entered the race? Have you entered the race? Have you entered the race? The Christian race. Have you entered that race? Second question I have for you this morning is this Are you still in the race? Are you still in the race? Just because that you started the race way back when does not mean that you are still in the race. And only those who finish their race still in the race will inherit the promise of eternal life. I want to finish with this statement this morning. Those who hear and heed God's voice will overcome and be rewarded with eternal life. God's question to us today is this Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Seven literal churches in Asia Minor received personal letters addressed to the leader of the church to be read to the church. Specific to that church, and yet, and yet, and yet we can glean and we can learn from these churches. We can learn from those things in these churches that God was happy with and God commended. But we can also see those areas in these churches that the Lord was not very very pleased with. Aren't you thankful for the scriptures today? Aren't you thankful that we, can, that we can glean, we can learn, amen? We can learn the mistakes that Elijah made and Moses made and Paul made and Timothy made and all of us. We, we, we can learn from them and we can, we can learn to stay away from those. Child. You know, there's good and bad in every, you know, um, whatever child you were, whether you were the, you know, the firstborn or the middle child or the baby. I was a baby. One of the good things about the baby is that the baby gets to watch all the mistakes that those ahead of them make. And then they can say, you know what? I'm not going there. (laughs) I'm not going there. (laughs) Thank you for going ahead of me. (laughs) I'm not going there. I see where it got you. I see. I'm not going there. We can read this book and and say, you know what? (laughs) I'm not going there. (laughs) I'm not going there. (laughs) Because I see where that road led. God has blessed us with his scriptures. He says, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? The takeaway for the message today is simply this. Do, Do you allow the scriptures to speak to you? Man, they've been presented to us. They've been handed to us. They've been given to us. Do you know what it took? No, you don't. But if you only knew what it took for God to get this into our hands, the links God had to go to to get this into our hands because he wants us to hear his voice. This is his voice today. Oh, he speaks in other ways, but this is the greatest source of his voice right here. And God says, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Do you allow the scriptures to speak to you? He speaks to us through his scriptures. Are you reading them? Are you reading them? I'll never forget, I was spending the weekend with my brother and his wife and their little boy and he was about four years old and it was Sunday and he had his Sunday best you know ready to go and and he went and he got his little child's Bible and and, uh, he tucked it under his arm and we're off to church and I said Alan do you read that Bible? he said oh no I take it to church (laughs) Hmm. he was four years old Hmm. Uh, the 40-year-old in here might say, hmm, I take it to church. <laughs> I'm not here to chastise you to make you feel bad this morning. That's not the purpose. But I'm telling you, there's some incredible life-altering, life-changing things in this book. God says, can you hear me now? But you've got to read it. You've got to meditate on it. And you've got to obey it. Father, take this word that has been shared this morning. Lord, let it do, Lord, in the heart and the life of the people that you want it to do. Lord, you said your word would not return unto you void, but it would accomplish whatever you intended it. Lord, it's not what I intend for this to do, but it's for what you intended for this to to take place today. And I pray that your perfect will will be done in this house today.